Guest today, I'm joined by Washington Post reporter Michael Lee. Michael, what's going on? Oh, man, you know, just uh, dealing with the new year, right? <laughs> right. Thank God a new year last year was crazy as <laughs> Well, we don't know how crazy this one's going to be either, so it was just... <laughs> yeah, it is. Man. You're right. It's early. It's kind of early. It's early. It's early. <laughs> So you've been covering NBA for a while now, over 19 years, 19 years? Uh, yeah, I covered the NBA 19 years, and now I'm in a, uh, in a different role at the post, but uh, but still okay. still definitely an NBA uh, fan and uh, watcher, observer, all that. Right, right. So um, tell us about your, the um, aspect of the game you cover now at, at the Washington Post. Um, my new role is basically um, looking at the role um, of race and sports and society. <clears throat> okay. Just, uh, Examining just uh, sports from that perspective because uh, it's something that obviously became a big issue last right. year uh, with George right. Floyd. Um, but um, but but I, I think that now it's sort of grown into something that we we can't ignore, you know, because I think for a long time people have sort of tried to separate, um, you know, race from sports or act like there's not an issue. Right. And we clearly see it play out and manifest in other ways, and it's uh so it's, it's something that was uh sparked by what's happening now in terms of you know um, looking at diversity and trying right. to examine you know why we haven't made as much progress as we should have, and then right. just uh, something that's needed, um, not just now but for going forward. Yeah, because we all know over the last four years, racism and social injustice has come to the forefront. I just think it's gotten more. They got more comfortable being more blatant with it instead of like in the past. You know, it was there, but it became more blatantly open over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, especially when you've seen, you know, athletes in general making <clears throat> political statements and, and right. in some sense getting ostracized for it. And when right. they, in the age of social media, you know, because we've seen it in the past, we've seen it with like a Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, who was basically blackballed by the NBA um, when he decided not to stand uh, right. for the national anthem, but. Um, right. You know, there wasn't as, as huge a, uh, you know, support for what he was doing back then. Uh, with Kaepernick, there definitely was support for what he was doing because of the way social media, um, just camera phones and everything, is sort of exposed right. some of the um, misdeeds of of, of 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 law enforcement and just how they treat black people. And I think when you see those videos and you see those images constantly, you know, thrown in your face, right. then an athlete decides <clears throat> to step up and say, hey you know, this isn't right, this is what I'm willing to do um, to raise awareness. And then he all of a sudden is wiped off, you know, all of your, <laughs> um, you know, it's just wiped off your record books and you don't even right. want to uh, acknowledge him in, in, uh, in broadcast. You don't want to acknowledge his history. And um, just for just for taking a knee, um, I think that now right. there, um, that something's amiss and um, and there's a pushback. So um, there's, there's a need for people to examine a lot of these issues and Hopefully, um, in this role, I can touch on some of that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the NBA and the WNBA have been very vocal on social injustice issues for a while. They've been. I mean, we all know last year the NBA boycotted a game last year or some games, and WNBA recently has been had a major impact on the Georgia Center race. So, yeah. um, speak on those two leagues and the importance of them both speaking out because their 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 platforms are so massive. They have millions of followers, millions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first, let me uh, just give uh, props to the WNBA. Um, yes, I think that yes. they, a lot of times, they get overlooked um, because they just don't have the the profiles or the platforms are not as large as say 
LeBron right. James or other NBA players who have been you know, spoken right. for on all these issues, but I think they've right. been just as they're not more impactful. Um, right. Go back to what happened with Breonna Taylor. One of the main reasons why she became such a hot button issue is because somebody like Andrew McCautry, you know, really got behind it because she right. played at Louisville, and so she's familiar with that that area. And right. She knows what's happening, and that, that and she decided to go on Twitter and and say, hey. How about we just get her name on our jerseys? And then you saw, you right. know, um, from there you saw the NBA say, hey, let's get social justice messages on our jerseys. And, and right. it became something that you saw, see even spread all the way out to international soccer where they're right. putting Black Lives Matter and things. And So I think it just started with just a very sincere effort, you know, just to raise awareness. And then it became something that um, became a movement, and you saw right. with the NBA, you know, they wanted to make their bubble about social justice. They wanted to right. make it about Black Lives Matter. They wanted to, you know, really, if we're going to put our lives on the line <laughs> to, for your entertainment, right. and, and it's, we're, we're going to also make sure you observe who we are as human beings, and I think that was the beauty of what they did and also what the NBA did. Um, but the WNBA took it a step further right. um, when by, by getting involved in a political campaign that eventually led to the election of the first, um, you know, black senator from Georgia in Raphael Warnock. Right. And so things just happened so uh, organically with that, but also they were they were pushed in the corner in some ways because uh, Kelly Loeffler, um, the senator from Georgia, yeah, uh, also a co-owner of the um, WNBA's uh, Atlanta Dream, yeah, and she's also running for office. And one thing that she had to do politically was basically distance herself from what the WNBA is all about. And she did that by attacking them and their platform right. and trying to uh, convey the message that black lives do matter. And when right. she did that, she condemned black lives matter in her statement. Right. A, lot of the pla- a lot of the players were offended, but also <clears throat> personally hurt because they, they took it as an attack. You know, it right. wasn't just, this wasn't just a political statement to say that this is wrong and that the WNBA is wrong for this. This was a personal right. attack from women who had invested months of energy into negotiating the CBA so they could play in a bubble. They right. negotiated all these things so they could make this about social justice. And so the, and they're feeling good about themselves. They arrive in Florida like, yes, we're going to do something to make a difference. Right. And the first person who makes a loud objection to it is somebody from within that community, somebody who is part of the WNBA, who's been around the WNBA for years, right. someone who honors Stacey Abrams with, you know, at, at a dream game and, and someone who hosted a Planned Parenthood night, you know, at a dream game. And now all of a sudden she's standing opposed to Black Lives Matter. And right. they, they decided to say, okay, how are we going to combat this? And they didn't just say, oh, just, let's say you sell your, your part of the team and, and be out of our league. They're like, no, how can we hurt you in a way that you will know that you don't mess with us? <laughs> right, oh, right. We're going to attack you politically, and we're going to strip you of the power that you have as a senator and we're going to put somebody who we feel stands up for what we stand for. And, yeah. you know, so a lot of them, they went out, they did research, um, they, they Googled her, the people who were running against her. And, um, and also there were a lot, of, a lot of people don't know, there were a lot of people involved in Raphael Warnock's campaign who also had ties to the WNBA. And so um, just those connections, those, those dots started to come together, and they got behind a guy who was polling at 9% right. at the time. And every one of uh, the players, you know, they had the the option to wear a Vote Warnock shirt. And it was one of the more powerful statements 
to, that a, that a sports league, and especially um, you know any league, could ever do because right. these women got behind a, a can a political candidate, which is something that you rarely ever see. You see people say just go vote and you know vote. You yeah. rarely see like the masses from an entire uh, league doing it. And I think yeah. it helped that you also had Sue Bird, you know, get behind it because you know you have um, a white woman, <laughs> you know, right, uh, that, right. that's supporting her sisters, you right. know, black black women. And they actually asked for that. Um, uh, Agumake, um, like she basically said, we need your support. We need you to be out front. We need right. you to have our back on this. And Sue Bird did it. And she came up with the idea for the T-shirts. And the next thing you know, um, Raphael Warnock is now uh, in the U.S. Senate. And so yeah. I give them props. And so move on to the to the NBA. Um, you saw that. A lot of uh, them, you know, they they, they had the, obviously the boycott <clears throat> after Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times, right. and um, and I think for the Milwaukee Bucks were the ones that sort of, you know, started the whole thing, but because that was in their backyard, you know, yeah. and, and that they know that that could have been them at any point, and so um, they just didn't feel like playing sports. They didn't feel like that they had spent weeks, you know, trying to spread this social justice message and it was falling right. on deaf ears and it was like well if we're going to keep talking about this and no one's going to listen to us how do we get them to pay attention to us right. let's take away what they need right now they need they need something to distract them from whatever's going on um whether it's covid or whatever else let's take that away from them and see how they react and i know a lot of people don't believe that that led to anything of significance but i disagree because the one thing about that was you know, while they thought about even threatening to just cancel the whole season and in, in, in the bubble altogether, right. you know, Chris Paul and LeBron James were able to get on the phone with, you know, President Obama <laughs> to basically right. encourage them to stay there, but also try to leverage it for something. And what they were able to do was get NBA teams to, you know, you know, um, offer up their facilities, practice facilities or arenas as, right. as voting sites. And that really helped stem the tide in a lot of communities, especially in Detroit and Atlanta, um, you know, where they used in Atlanta, they used the uh, uh, State Farm Arena as one of their main precincts. Right. That was huge. That was huge because people could vote early. uh, And and one of the things that happened in Georgia before was that, you know, voter suppression, it made it very impossible to, to vote because you have long lines. It took several hours. And if you have a job, you don't have four or five hours to, to, to go vote. You got to right. go in and do what you have to do. So when a lot of these venues opened up, you know, people sort of saw the, not just the allure of like saying, Hey, I can go vote at Fenway park. Like you can right. walk into Fenway park and cast a ballot. So you can sort of just go in there just from the, the, just from the, the, the majesty of being at one of these, you know, um, you know, grand, you know, arenas, yes. but you right. also could also know that you're voicing, you know, you're making a voice clear um, right. in, in the vote. So I think that you had that. And so they were able to use their power in a way that I don't think a lot of people anticipated. And so now I think the athletes in general are emboldened in knowing right. that their voices can have an impact. They also know the limitations of those voices right. because even though they may call for justice as it relates to, you know, reforming police departments and, and trying to get district attorneys to really punish those who um, participate in malfeasance. Um, right. They know that there are avenues where their voices can make a change. And so 
I don't think we're ever going back to the days where athletes just go out there and just play sports and then go home and say nothing. Yeah, yeah. That sort of a dribble not happening, not happening anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. No, not at all. Yeah, I agree with you when they, they believe it could be done because unless you're a high-profile player, NBA player, NBA player, most people don't even recognize you. Let's say like a LeBron James or Candace Parker. I mean, even Stephen A. Smith said when he first started out, he got profiled until he ran his name and other realized who he was. So it's like if they don't know who you are, they subject to the same things. If you're not a high-profile athlete, it's, it's crazy. It's still crazy out here. Yeah, it is. And I think that's one of the things that made this um, something that players couldn't just sit back idly for because, right. you know, um, like a guy like Bradley Beal, who's an NBA right. star, making 20-some-odd million dollars a year, he gets pulled over by the cops. And the yeah. cop knows who he is and says, I can, I can embarrass you and ruin your life. And so um, these are the type of things that athletes encounter, but they also know that their brothers, their cousins, their sisters, right. their aunts, their uncles, everyone that they that they came up with, all their friends that that they that they still in communication with, that that maybe roll with them now. Um, they right. encounter these situations, and they don't have the ability to to um, to to use their profile to encourage people to go vote or to go. I mean, they 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 march out on the streets and engage in protests. But they actually can get on the phone and talk to a senator or a congressman. They can right. their owner who may have access to all these power players who can start to wield a little more power and influence in their communities. So they actually have the leverage to do more, and I think they're starting to recognize that. So that's I think that's one of the best things that we've seen come out of this. You know, And it's, it's not even just that they're being active and they're being vocal. They're also making sure that they're invested in learning about what they're talking about. Right. Like the worst thing you can have is just someone out there just popping off about, well, we need this, we need that, and then you ask right. that next question, they don't have an answer. Right. Uh, these, these guys are actually doing the reading. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah. They, or at least they have enough people around them who are telling them what they need to know. And I think that that's, that's important, too, because the, the worst thing you can do is to try to seek change and try to go out there and, and, and be a voice and use your right. platform but I'll then prove yourself to be ignorant because they right. do damage to the whole the whole operation. Exactly. Y'all know you can't have a plan without action. Otherwise, you're just talking, right? You can't. <laughs> you got to yeah, exactly. you move on your words. You got to. So you were, you were able to cover, in your career, you were able to cover the Olympics in 2004, 2008, and 2016. I was able right. to cover, I was able to cover um, team USA basketball. I'm trying to get to the Olympics, but I'm not there yet. So how was that, <laughs> how was that experience for you? Um, you know, it's it's actually uh, uh, it's actually a very personal uh, situation for me. Um, when you think okay. about um, just the Olympics that I was able to cover, I mean, the first one was was great. My first one in '04, right? I got to cover. Um, I called them the scheme team or the marketing scheme team uh, okay. because they were a collection of players that were thrown together at the last minute, and uh, yeah. basically everybody that was thrown together was all the players left whose jerseys were the top sellers. Like they weren't necessarily right. picked because they were going to be a good cohesive group. Right. Uh, they, they had Tim Duncan and uh, Allen Iverson who were the only holdovers um, from the team that qualified for the Olympics, which featured right. a lot of the best players from Jason Kidd to Ray, Ray Allen, um, Tracy McGrady, uh, Jermaine O'Neal. Like they had all the top players at that time. Right. And they all decided to back out because that was going to be the first Olympics post 9-11. Right. So a lot of people didn't want to go to the Greece or the Middle East because they felt there was going to be a terror threat 
and a lot of other things that kept a lot of stars from going. So they threw a, a team out there that wasn't ready to play and compete. They wound up going there and losing to like Puerto Rico and finishing with a bronze medal um, and one of the more embarrassing showings ever. And uh, Larry Brown was the coach and he was throwing guys under the bus and Tim Duncan, as great as he is, the referees never allowed him to play the way he normally plays because he was in foul trouble the entire tournament. True. And I remember, um, you know, after they lost, uh, we were asking Tim Duncan if he would ever play again and he was in the Olympics. He's like, no, I'm done with this. Like, I'm not ever doing this again. And someone asked him, what did you learn from this experience? And he said, FIBA sucks. <laughs> 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 and so that was it. And, um, and so in, in 08 uh, in China, um, I had the fortune of being around Team USA uh, as they built the Redeem team with right. LeBron and Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony right. and Kobe Bryant yeah. and, um, and a lot of the Jason Kidd, you know, guy who was supposed to be on the 04 team. So a lot of right. these guys had kind of, they came together, they were able to go to Beijing and win the championship, I mean, win the gold medal. And so for me, it was great to, to cover that. But right. what a lot of people don't know is that I was not able to cover the, the gold medal game. I, I, I was unable to cover the gold medal game because while I was in China, um, I contracted a virus uh, while I was out there, and okay. um, it made me sick, so so sick that um, during the gold medal game, uh, that right near halftime, I collapsed and I was hospitalized. Wow. And so um, I covered, you know, <clears throat> the Team USA was in Las Vegas, you know, in, in 2007 to qualify. Covered right. every one of those games. I covered every, you know, uh, game um, in the States that led up to them going to China. And then I covered every game, men's and women's, during the Olympics um, in China. And so, and I, I didn't really, I wasn't really a fan of China just being there. Right. Just, the air quality was bad. The water was bad. Um, that They tried to overcompensate for a lot of the, 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 the germs in, in my hotel by just having okay. the rooms just freezing cold. So I'm going out in like small 100 degree weather every day, going back into a room. That was probably 20 degrees, it felt like for me. Wow. Yeah, so to a, do that for three weeks, sure. by the yeah. end, I wound up being too sick to make it through. Um, so then, when the, uh, obviously, I wasn't there um, when they, in 2012 at the, um, at the London Olympics, but then in 2016, right. I was there. Uh, when they won again in Brazil. And right. so for me, it was about just finishing the task, like getting to the Gosh. finish line and standing upright at the end. Gosh. And a, a, a funny story about that is that um, uh, yeah, after the U.S. won a gold medal game, um, I, was in, uh, I, was in, I was in the media room, and, uh, and so they had Carmelo and Kevin Durant doing the, um, the post-game interview. Right. And I had my hand up the entire time because I wanted to ask – Durant a question about because he had a chance he's going to have a chance to pass Carmelo as the all-time leading Olympic scorer if he sticks with it at the right. time so uh, he only needs he's not that far behind Melo who's who's obviously has a great Olympic career um, and so I had my hand up the whole time you know to ask Kevin the question and the moderator never reached out to me and so when the last they said last question they picked somebody else I was gathering right. my stuff to go leave. And when I got up, um, my seat came out from under me, and I fell down, and I crash-landed. Okay. And so, <laughs> and so like, I basically just created this whole commotion. Right. Um, 
that my seat fell and everything else fell. And so, um, so as, as I'm, I'm like really embarrassed and I like, I still wind, wind up walking out, but as, as I'm walking out, uh, Durant and, um, and, and Carmelo are coming out another door, you know, wow. they're leaving. And so we cross paths. Right. And so they immediately start making jokes with me about falling down and having fun with me about, right. you know, the embarrassing fall. And so, um, but it actually worked out for me because while Kevin was making the joke, I was like, hey, well, man, well, I got you here. Right. <laughs> right. There you go right there. <laughs> right. Why, 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 why are you making these jokes about me? How can, I, can I ask you a couple of questions? And right. He gave me a whole uh, great story about, um, you know, he answered my question. And right. Melo happened to be there, and Melo was like, "Yeah, he's gonna break my record. Yeah, he's definitely gonna break my record." But right. then, after that, I was like, "Well, since he's here and we're talking, tell me about how this felt to play in the Olympics after signing with Golden State." Right. And he told me that mm-hmm. it was like a It was like um, it's what he needed because uh, he, he had gone through a really rough summer. You know, in terms of negative backlash, right? Uh, for for leaving Oklahoma City to go to the Warriors, and so right. um, that was actually soothing for him to go there, play basketball, and just not have to worry about any negative energy, right? And just to get a gold medal and just be around guys who respected his game and weren't really caught up in whether he should have stayed or left or gone somewhere else, and uh, right. so it turned into a pretty cool story. So. Right. Um, so yeah, so that that those are my Olympic story. I'm sure I'm probably long winded, but that's that's what I got for you. I mean, that's good. I mean, you 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 use the opening, and you always got to be ready and be ready. You never know when that opening is going to come for you, and you took it and ran with it. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. So I was just trying to cover the NCAA tournament. I'm trying to get. I, I mean, I've covered a couple NCAA games. I covered um D1. Mm-hmm. How was that experience covering the um NCAA tournament? Oh, uh well that was really it's 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 interesting, um, because I had um I had uh I've only covered one the tournament once and right. and, and it and it, it's interesting because um I went to uh I, I covered the first two rounds and um and uh and so while I was there right. I was um <clears throat> Sorry. While I was there, um, I got word that um, that they, that they they didn't want me to cover the next couple of rounds because that was when my I officially became I've been officially started to cover the NBA. Okay. Because uh, we had a guy who covered the league, covered the NBA for a long time, Jeff Denberg at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Right. He had had he had collapsed um, from a brain tumor. And um, they needed somebody to fill in for them. Now, me, I was covering high school at the time. Okay. So I was thinking that it was a great opportunity for me to go cover the NCAA tournament. So I covered right. a couple games. And uh, I happened to cover a guy, um, a Kent State center, uh, <laughs> by the name of Antonio Gates. Okay. Uh, who was dominating this, the, the, the first two rounds and helped uh, Kent State advance to the Sweet 16. And uh, so it was crazy that he never played college football, but then went on to become one of the greatest tight ends to ever play. It's <laughs> wow. uh, so I, I can say I covered Antonio Gates' uh, basketball career, um, but that was also the last college game that I covered because okay. I wound up um, having to leave the tournament and finish out the season covering the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. And um, and so for me, that was like the greatest thrill. It was it was 
Yeah, the NCAA tournament might have been cool that year, but yeah. I got a chance to start covering the, the league that I always had a passion to to, to be around. So, um, so yeah, so that I'll always remember that that little bit of tournament for Antonio Gates, and that when I got the call to say when you come back, we're gonna need you to go um, to to the Hawks game. They're gonna play the Bulls on Saturday. We're gonna need you there. Right. So, um, I went I went into I was nervous as all get out um, when I covered my first NBA game. Because um, I had never, I, I, I mean, I was covering high schools, and yeah. um, I didn't really have like like this crazy wardrobe. Like I was, I, all I had was like maybe a couple of sweaters. And a couple totally of understand. Right. I, I, totally... I didn't have any suits or anything, and so I was like, "How am I gonna cover this season when I don't even have any kind of dress clothes?" Like, I, right. and, and at that at that stage, I was I was like twenty. I was in my mid twenties, early twenties, and right. so I didn't really have. Um, you know, like a lot of gear, but I also want people to not see me as a young kid. Gotcha. I want them to see me as an adult. Like, yeah, I, right. I belong in the locker room. All right, right, guys, give me all your information. Talk to me because I'm, you know. Right. So I, I wanted to look like a grown up, but I, I remember I, I had all my, had I used every sweater and slacks that I had the, the rest of that season. Um, and so I remember walking into the the locker room the first time and talking to Jason Terry, and, right. and so it was it was cool. So yeah, um, I, I always remember that. I didn't really cover too much NCAA basketball, but right. a couple of games I did led to me doing something. That right. Never that, was left still, really. that was still a cool experience, man. You got to do it. Like, I'm trying to get to the NCAA tournament. I always wanted to cover the one shiny moment. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, ne- I, didn't I never, ever, I never made it to a Final Four, but yeah. Nah, right. but that, that, was, uh, that was in 2002, I believe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's really, I understand understand everything you're saying. I remember when I first covered the tickets for the first time because I covered the G League or G League team, the um, 87ers, and I got the call where I could cover, cover my first Sixers game. I was, like, nervous. And sh- I was nervous. Oh, and like, I was like, oh, shit, man. Like, yeah, like, I was nervous. I was. Yes. I, I can't even explain the le- amount of fear that I had walking into the locker room. Like, what are they going to do? You know, what's they're right. on my shoes? Like, what's going to happen? Like, what? what <laughs> Right. What if, what, if, what if I'm uh if they don't want to talk to me, you know? And then I had to get the story right, and um, so it, it was it was cool. And, I, and one of the things about like my first um my first year covering the NBA was um some somebody like Paul Silas will always forever be one of my favorite people in the NBA okay. because um he was the coach of the Charlotte Hornets back then, right. and they were a good team, and so. I had I was they since since they you know Jeff Denberg was out not only that to write about the Hawks but I also had to cover right do the Sunday notes package right, right. so I had to write different things Sunday notes <clears throat> and I didn't realize back then like how how the other people had done Sunday notes so I thought I had to do the reporting like where I actually interview people and talk to people right and so uh, one of the stories I had done um, that year was uh, I did a story because the Hornets were about to move to New Orleans. Okay. So I was doing a story about Charlotte and everything, and, and uh, I interviewed Paul Silas for that story. And uh, the whole time, he's looking at me. He's just like staring at me, like kind of laughing at every question I ask. So like then when I, we did it, when I finished talking to him, he's like, "Man, how old are you?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "You look too young to be doing this job." And I'm like, "No, I mean, I'm I'm 24, 25." You know, uh, right. And he, and he started laughing. He's like, "I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time." And so, but I guess I stuck, I stayed with him because I had um, I called him during a playoff series. 
I did. I was doing uh, the, the 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 magic was playing the Hornets, right. and this was like the coming out party for Tracy McGrady and um and Baron Davis. They were just having staging like one of the greatest individual playoff battles you could see. Right. They both were dropping thirty on each other, and it was just like this great thing. And so I I I called Paul Silas in his office <laughs> to ask him during the playoff, during the playoff, right. this stuff that never would happen now. But so right. I. Uh, I, I left a voicemail on Paul Silas's phone saying, "This is Mike Lee with the Manager of Constitution. I, right. uh, you know, I, I'm you know watching your playoff series, and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about Baron Davis. Right. And um, he called me and talked to me about Baron Davis for for my NBA notes. Yeah, and, and, it, and like I'm telling you, I'm just like I'm I'm covering high school sports, man. Like that's that's what happened in March. In March of right. 2002, I'm covering high school sports, and so by the playoffs, that's what April 2002. I'm on the phone with Paul Silas. Crazy, you know. And so the fact that he even just called me, even though I hadn't had any kind of reputation of you know covering the league or anything, right? That I always have the utmost respect for him, and so um, so that that, that that's that's another thing that stands out from that, time, that period. That's what's up, man. Congrats on all your success. You're out here moving, bro. I'd <laughs> say what? I'd say congratulations on your success. You're out here moving. Congratulations, yeah. bro. For real. Yeah. I mean, that's why I always say that, you know, one thing you got to do whenever you have an opening, whenever you have an opportunity to do something in this business, you got to hop on it and, yes. really, and really run with it. Like, yes. You can't wait for... Um, you know, some somebody to give you an opportunity. When exactly. Comes, you gotta, you know, you gotta be like, you know, um, you know, Barry Sanders when you get it. You know, yes. <laughs> you gotta take it straight to the house, and if yes. somebody's trying to stop you, you know, you gotta juke them and make them yes. fall and yes. get around them. <laughs> yeah. But you gotta get to that end zone, and that's yes, that's the one, that's the way I viewed it. And so I was fortunate um, because I didn't know how long I was going to be allowed to cover the NBA. I didn't know right. they're going give me to be, but I knew I wanted to show them that this is where I right. needed to be and they needed to respect me and give me that opportunity. Right. And so Paul Silas called me during the playoff series. He always stands out. And the other guy that stands out to me is Kenny Anderson. Okay. Now Kenny Anderson went to Georgia Tech and he kept the offseason home in Atlanta, even though he kind of bounced around, you know, and at the time he was, um, I believe he was, he was, he had just been traded. Um, I think he was traded from Boston to Seattle. Okay. And so I was, and so Jason Terry had a um, had his a uh, charity game. He had a summer charity game at at uh, then it's called Phillips Arena. And so um, Kenny Anderson is obviously from Atlanta, so there was I mean not from Atlanta. He went to Georgia Tech, so there was a story right. that I could do on him. And so um, after the game, you know, I, I interviewed, I did a story for the game, and then I walked up to Kenny Anderson. I said, Hey, Kenny, uh, Michael Lee, the uh, Atlanta General Constitution. Um, right. I want to do a story on you, you know, now that you just, you're about to make this move and just got traded again. I want to just talk to you about, you know, just where you are and just what this move means for you. And he's like, okay, um, I can't do it now. Meet me at the gym tomorrow. And I'm looking at like, what? <laughs> so, he says, so he says, meet me at Georgia Tech. Just come on through. I'll be with my trainer. So you right. can come on in and, you know, I'll let everybody know you're coming. So you'll be all right. Right. So I show up at the gym. <laughs> And Kenny Anderson um, is sort of he's wrapping up his workout, and um, and then like as he's wrapping up, he like throws me a ball and says, "Let me see what you got." And I said, "What?" 
He said, hey, shoot, shoot. Let me see what, let me see if you can play. And so I wound up hitting like three shots in a row. Right. And like, he's like, oh, I see you got a little J. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I happened to hit three shots in a row. <laughs> I didn't right. want to oversell myself. I just right. said, well, I played a little high school ball. I wasn't that good, but, you know, right. I, I, I could shoot. And then um, he's like, well, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Uh, I, I got to run home. Um, he said, so I, I can't do the interview here. He said, but um, if you want, you can just follow me home. Okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what's up. That's what's up. So, so Kenny, uh, so I, I followed Kenny to his house, and um, and like, so we go inside his house, and um, I grab a seat on uh, like a stool in, in his kitchen, right? And we wound up doing an interview at his house, you know, uh, like that. I mean, that's kind of stuff that was happening, and so, right? Um, you know, a couple of weeks after the story ran, um, they were like, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna promote you, we're gonna <clears> put you on the Hawks, um, you know, full time next season. And so that's, that's how the door opened. And, you know, I've been asking for an opportunity to cover other things for, for years, and I've grown frustrated without, with them not giving me anything other than still doing high schools. And, um, you know, the opening came, and, and I had to run with it. And like I said earlier, um, you you got to take advantage of opportunities when they come your way because you don't know when they're going to come back. They may, not, exactly. they may never come back around. Exactly. And you sit back and say, man, I, I just I squandered that. You don't want to squander it. Right, and at the same time, it was meant for you. It was gonna come to you. That was meant for you, bro. And you there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Bradley Bill, the Wizards. I know mm-hmm. you know about this better than me. <laughs> Bradley Bill right now is leading the league in scoring. It's, it's a possibility he could be the NBA's leading scorer and miss the playoffs. I mean, they have mm-hmm. time to turn it around. But right now, the whole NBA has gotten better potentially. All these trades going on. I mean, what do you mm-hmm. see about what do you see about the potential him missing the playoffs in addition to Westbrook? I mean, they already moved on Wall. You think they could move Bradley Bill in the future? He's saying that he's saying the right things though. They might build around him. What's your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that what Bradley Bill proved last year is that he's an elite scorer. Yes, he is. I mean, you can't average thirty points in a game without being an elite scorer. Doesn't matter who you're surrounded by. Doesn't matter right. how good your team is. If you can get thirty at night, when you know defenses are geared up to stop you, and you know that you, um, you know, have to carry that burden every night, um, right. when you do it, then you are among it. Because there's, there's like a good scorer can get you twenty, a great scorer can get you twenty-five, right? An elite scorer can get you is going to get you thirty. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. There aren't many guys that can do that. And now he's up in the thirty-five range, which is yes. Like, you you and MJ, uh, you know, Kobe, Wilt, you know, yes. Rick Barry, you know, Elgin Baylor yes. type, you know, you you were in that like that elite, elite, elite company. Right. So I don't know if he'll still maintain that scoring average, you know, throughout the course of the year. But even if he stays above thirty, he's proven that he can he can get a bucket. Um right. but I but I think right now what Bradley's gonna have to think about, you know, going forward is that what is he playing this game for? Right. You know, um, he's financially he, set. He's financially set. I mean, because he's financially all, set. I yeah. mean, I'm sure he wants to get a, a little more all-star recognition, maybe some all-NBA recognition. Right. And being on a lousy Wizards team is going to allow him to at least get the numbers that he wants. But will right. he get him the respect and adulation that he wants? Right. And if he does he really want to win? 
because if the Wizards can't make any moves to get him any more help or any more talent to become a winner, right? He doesn't want to be stuck and just throw throw away his prime and just say, "Well, yeah. I got you thirty a night." Like, what do you yeah. want, what are you in this game for? Yeah, I know that we want to have guys stick with their teams and be with them for however long they can. You know, you, you right. know, one thing you hate to see are these breakups. Like, I hated to see John Wall get traded. Yeah, because I know how much he loved playing for the Wizards and being in D.C. And I think he wanted he would have loved to have ended his career there, but things just they went sideways on from both parts. Like it just right. um, so it, it it ended poorly. Um, and then you see other situations where guys just basically quit on their organizations and then say trade me and get me out of here, and right. then just give a half-hearted effort. Um, and, and get rewarded in the end. I mean, that's the power of the game, the power of being a superstar. You saw James Harden just basically yeah. be all levels of unprofessional, but he got his wish. Now he's in Brooklyn. Right. He wins there. Right. People, it'll be long forgotten, the same way people forgot what Anthony Davis did to the, to the Pelicans on the way out. Like, he's a right. champion now, so whatever. Who cares? He, he got to what he wanted, and now he, he gets a chance to play on this level. Right. Um, but it, when it comes to Bradley Bill, he hasn't done anything – to where you say, man, I don't know if he's handling this right. You know, he's saying the right things. He wants to be there. Right. But he's nowhere close to being a champion in D.C. And right. They're not, they're not a year away. They're not two years away. Like, they are right. a long way away from being a championship team. Yeah. And he doesn't just need to go to the playoffs to be considered great. Right. He's right. been to the playoffs. He's been to the conference semis. and never been to the conference finals. Right. Wizards, as they're currently constructed, are at best right. um, one of those playing teams, you know, one of the seven to ten playing teams. Right. At best, at their at their right. peak, what they could be. And if you've already been to the playoffs and you've come within one game of the conference finals, um, how many more years of your prime do you want to throw away on a franchise that's heading nowhere? And so I think exactly. he's going to have to evaluate for himself if he wants to get thirty a night or he wants to get twenty a night on a team that has a chance to do something significant. And I think right. if, as the year goes on, if the Wizards continue to struggle, I think he's going to have a hard time looking at himself in the mirror and saying, I want this. Yeah. He's going to be like, I want what I feel like my talents warrant. And, right. You know, and I think that the Wizards, they have to be honest with him in a sense too and saying that, okay, in a lot of ways we failed you, Brad. <laughs> you know, right. we didn't do right by you, you know. And John, we didn't be right by you guys. We didn't get you right. the help that you needed when you were all proven that you were capable of doing more and being more. And so right. if that's the case, they have to do right by Brad and say, okay, <clears throat> where do you want to play? Where do you want to be? Right. What's going to put you closer to your goals? And I think that um, it's going to be tough because I know how much he loves um, D.C. And, and, yeah. and being the man there right now. But I also know that he's a competitive guy, and that these losses are hard to take. So, um, yeah, I think I think if things continue along this path, it'll be hard for him to justify still wearing a Wizards uniform. Definitely, I definitely agree because the East is only getting tougher. I mean, New York when they got Obi Toppin, Atlanta made moves. They when they got Gallinari, I mean Trey Young off and coming. I mean, when to Miami, they got Jimmy Butler. He's there now. He should have won they made last year. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, even it's, the Charlotte Hornets have improved. Yes, the Lamelo Ball, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, so every every team in the East is getting better. Um, they're getting worse, and 
you know, a lot of this is hard to even speculate about or discuss because you have COVID, which is still just lurking around, uh, right. not even lurking. It's like right in the forefront. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's right in your face that, you know, this is, this is uh, tough, you know, this is going to be a tough thing to get through this season uh, because we have a virus that, that doesn't want to cooperate. Yes, yes, and they missed a lot. Missed a lot of games. They missed a lot of games. We're just supposed to play today. Their game got postponed. It's like, it's yeah. I give it to um, Adam Silver though. He's doing a great job, but it's going to be a tougher job in a bubble. We all know with every team now, not just selected. What was eighteen or whatever got selected for the bubble? It's when it's more yeah. twenty-two. I'm sorry, twenty-two. It's it's more teams, and they have a, lo- a larger scope to cover. So, and it's more moving parts now with all these teams. So, it's going to be a task. But I think they're going to force their way through it. Listen to the ramifications of not finishing, but it's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot of moving parts. That's why part of the reason they made the schedule in two parts, so they could reschedule the missed games for the second part of the season, which was a good idea. But, yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a smart way to go about it. It's just going to be um, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a, a really difficult to, um, to to finish the season. Yeah, but this is a, a, a airborne disease in a game yeah. that. You know, where you run up and down on the floor and breathing on each other the whole time. So, right. even with all these protocols, you know, you still can't stop what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's why one of the protocols they made was you couldn't you couldn't shake hands at the end of the game. But you're with these guys, you're leaning on them at the foul line, you're taking yeah. them on on defense. I mean, yeah, that one I didn't understand, and the way I understood it, but I didn't understand it. Like that was like just something throughout there just to have, I guess, like because that didn't make any sense to me, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot, a lot of the protocols are there. Just um, yeah, <laughs> right. Because <laughs> one, one thing about NBA players too, they like they like to hug each other. So right, <laughs> it'd be hard yeah. to get them to just like just give each other pounds and daps when they really want to right break. Right, because some are friends when we see each other during the season essentially, unless it's off season. So I mean, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This James hard to move. If these mm-hmm. three, the three, three mess the way we know they could possibly, I don't see them being stopped on offense. I mean, you cannot score your opponent. I know defense wins championships, especially in the postseason. But you still got to score your opponent in the, in the postseason. These three are the best isolation players potentially in the game. We don't know what James Harden can do. He came in, put in a triple double, first game with the Nets. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. KD. He's so tall. We know what KD is. He came back off the Achilles injury. Hasn't missed a beat. He's averaging what thirty. And Kyrie can break down anybody on defense. I don't see how this can be stopped if they all buy into the same system. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, you said you don't see how this is going to work or not going to work. No, how? How? I don't see how they can be stopped on offense. I oh, don't. No, yeah. no, they they can't be stopped on offense. Um, but they can't stop anybody. That's true. <laughs> on defense, That's so, true. And, and you say defense wins championships, it does. But yeah, the other thing that yeah. wins championships is, uh, you know, Pat Riley had the famous line: "No rebounds, no rings." Right. You gotta, you gotta protect the glass too, because even if you, Very true. Uh, even if you play the defense long enough to get the stop, don't mean anything if the other, if the team is getting the offensive rebound after all that hard work. And Very that could true. be deflating uh, on your spirits as well. So, right. they're gonna have to find some reinforcement on the defensive end. Right, uh, either because uh, DeAndre Jordan, I don't think he's capable to provide that interior presence as he once right. did, as he once was. 
Right. And they don't they're lacking in size. They're gonna be playing a lot of small ball with Jeff Green, which is right. cute in the regular season, but in the playoffs right. um, you know, to get through the East, you you figure you're gonna to have to play a Joel Embiid, right? Yeah. And he, yeah. he will have a he will feast. Oh, you yeah. know, um if there's nobody in the paint that, that can really guard him. Um right. you know, and so you're gonna to have to go through a guy like him. Um you're gonna to have to play tough teams like Milwaukee, which has a, a lot of size as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Giannis yeah. is a seven footer and yeah. You got Brooke Lopez and they got a lot of big guys. Um right. they got a pretty big lineup, you know, um at, uh that they, that you have to contend with. And so they're going to be a lot of a lot of teams that they're going to need to have bigs. And if they are fortunate enough to get yeah. out of the East and they get to the finals, <laughs> yeah, the Lakers are there, you know, Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis yeah. will have a field day because there won't yeah. be anybody on the floor who's capable of stopping him. And, and they, they got the Gasol. And they got the I, I was about to say, and they don't have right. anybody who can um, who who can uh, slow down LeBron, who's going to be the, who's going who's going to be the guy. Right. That's going to sacrifice and bring them a defensive end. So right. they're going to have to find a, 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 a perimeter defender and a post defender. And right. I think it's great that you know Joe Harris is a guy that stretches the floor. Yeah, you know um, DeAndre can be a guy there for lobs, and that's that'll be fine during the regular season. But in the playoffs, right. you got to get stops. You know, yeah. um, you know I think one thing that has been proven, and you know Dan Tony's an assistant on that team. You know, one thing that's been proven is like you can put up all the points in the world, right? But that is not what's going to get you a championship. You know, as great as in the Warriors, people forget the Warriors won. You know, with with, with Steph Curry and and Klay Thompson being the best shooting backcourt we've ever seen. Right. But they also right. had Draymond Green there. You know, who was right. the Defensive Player of the Year, and also one of the more underrated parts of that seventy three win team, uh, Andrew Bogut. Who was a great right. defensive center? A lot of people, a lot of people refuse to mention it. They refuse to mention it or acknowledge it. But he missed the last two and a half games of that series. They blew three one lead. He got he got hurt in game five, a game that the Warriors lost in overtime. Now I'm not saying he would have made all the difference right. in the world, right? But I but I will say that the moment he was gone that LeBron and Kyrie had a clear path to the basket for the rest of the night. True. And we know, and we know what happened in the next two games. So yes. um, you need a defensive presence. You need a big out there who can, who can help, um, you know, all your offensive stars, you know, shine. And you right. also need to have offensive stars. who are going to be willing to bring it on a defensive end too. Cause you know, cause as good as Clay is a shooter, he also really elite uh, right. perimeter defender too. So, that's where I see the Nets. If there's going to be a problem, it's going to be is James going to be willing to commit? Is Kyrie going to be willing to commit on the defensive end? We've seen KD right in the playoffs. You know he can really step up, but a lot of that is because of the, the culture that he was with, the team he was surrounded by. Right. You know you got defensive players like Iguodala and Draymond. Right. You're gonna you're gonna buy in. Yeah. That's, that's what the whole yeah. mentality is. Um, right. And the Nets don't really have that kind of identity yet, and so they're gonna to have to find players who fit that. They let, they right. traded Jared Allen to get, you know, right. um, Harden, and he was probably their best, you know, post defender. Right. He's a shot blocker. He's not really that strong, but he's a really right. shot blocker. And right now, they got some, uh, they got some issues they have to address if they're gonna be 
holding that trophy in the end. Right. Yeah, the Warriors also had Clay Thompson, best two way one of the best two way players in the game. His defense sure. is crazy also. One player I think well a couple players that they might forget I think they can get uh uh what I wanna say. Defense, um I think Kenneth Reeves name came up for the for the uh for the net. I remember he he has a motor and he's crazy on the boards. He's a little undersized, but he he's he's a beast on the boards. That could be an option. Or Norvell uh, Pell. Nor Norvell Pell. I it's definitely an upgrade for shot blocking. So he yeah. sixers. I like him. He, he might be. I mean I, I I think you need to get a little go a little higher than the guys you mentioned in terms of <laughs> actual impact defensive players. Um I I mean I, I'm not sure how they're gonna go about doing it. Right. I think a lot of it's gonna have to come from um you know, the buyout market, you know, um have to see what the players you know, kind of forced their way out. And I think right. that one thing is the attraction of New York will be able to – they'll be able to get some guys and also there'll be players who want to play with KD and, and, and – yeah, very So, so yeah. they'll, be, they'll be able to get guys that way. I, they don't have a lot of evidence <laughs> right now to make a trade because they gave it all up to get Harden. But, Definitely. Uh, but I think I think they'll have to just sort of play wait and see and just hope that in the regular season – that the three get the three main offensive weapons can form that yeah. chemistry to where that that'll be one thing they can depend on when they get you know real tight situations. Yeah, we all know what happened when the heat bit when a bit when a heat big three got formed. It was players lined up to take the bench up to play with them. So you know it's going to be players lined up to play with KD, Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing too, they they also be yeah. competing with the Lakers. The Lakers right now they're so deep, they yeah. got so much talent. They really don't have any open spots. You know, so right? They, Very these true. guys. When they get by, they're gonna be looking for some place to go, and, and Brooklyn very is probably true. a bad option. Very true, very true. Michael, man, thank you for joining me. This was a great interview. Thanks for joining yeah. me. I definitely in the future to be available again, definitely. All right, for sure. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate no it. No problem. Do the rest of your day. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, you too. Take care. You too. Yes, that was Washington Post reporter Michael Lee. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time.